I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse, a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that can make us all be encouraged, want to hear what makes these women passionate and get up in the morning or what they wish that they'd known earlier in life. Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. Well, today I am in Montgomery, Alabama, and I am with Brittany Bethay. And uh, I have known Brittany for many, many years and just adore you and your family. So I welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, what I'd like to do is just ask you to introduce yourself as to how do people know Brittany today? Okay. Well, I'm Brittany Bethay. Um, I'm actually from Montgomery. Um, so grew up here, born and raised here. Um, I like to think of myself kind of, I wear three main hats. Um, I'm a pastor's wife, so I'm married to Mark. Um, we've almost been married 10 years. So it'll be 10 years in July. Um, I am a mom. So we have two kids. Um, Micah is our little boy. He is three and Helen Ann is our little girl and she's one. And then I'm also a pharmacist. Um, I am currently out of practice and in the academic world, so I'm a professor of practice for Auburn's uh, Harrison School of Pharmacy. Oh, wow. You've got a lot of hats that are very defined, but yet they cross over, I'm sure. They do. So are are you where you thought you would be at this point in your life when you went to to school? Now, you and Mark kind of grew up together, so uh, high school sweetheart. Yes. And so did you, did you know from the moment y'all started dating that you'd wind up married? I think he maybe did. Um, so we started officially dating in 10th grade. And he would tell you that he knew at some point in high school that he would marry me. For me, I really didn't know until college. Not that I wasn't intentionally dating him, but I think as a high school girl, I wasn't thinking about marriage. I just liked him a lot, enjoyed hanging out with him, saw him as my friend. Um, And then in college is when I really realized um, that we would end up together. So from that perspective, I mean, in marriage, yes, I'm where I guess I thought I would be. Um, Career, I would say I'm not where I thought I would be. Um, Mark actually says it best. He tells me that I have push the pause button on my career. Yeah. Um, and I'm not too prideful to say that. So um, kind of taking you back to my, I guess, walk in my career. Um, yeah, let's go there. Okay. Um, so I went to pharmacy school at Auburn, which is where I'm now working. And um, I am one of those people that I set goals and I achieve those goals. I'm an achiever. Um, so I knew really from high school that I wanted to be a pharmacist. So I went into Auburn knowing pharmacy was my end goal. Um, Why? What What lit that for you? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. A couple different things. I love science. I loved math. Um, those were just things that came natural to me in high school. I loved 
school. I love to study. <laughs> I love to get the right answer. Um, my mom was in pharmaceutical sales. Oh, okay. So you had some exposure a right, little bit there. Right. So I can remember, you know, just as a little girl, um, riding in the car and listening to her talking about her drugs and selling her drug product. And that can sound bad if you don't follow back up real quick. Uh, selling her um, pharmaceutical uh, yeah. drugs. We're talking about yeah. medical drugs, um, medications, not illegal drugs. Yeah. Um, when I say drugs, people do. They're like, mm, I'm like, mm. I'm not talking about illegal substances. Yeah. I'm talking well, that's about okay. medications. That's kind of like when Tori talks about having other people's skulls in our freezer she's talking about the animals that they have gotten and collected from their wildlife world so we have to qualify what we're speaking right you have lingo within Mm -hmm. your career um so I remember my mom talking about medications and I remember just being interested like well how does it work you know how does it reach that end goal you know how does it help with their breathing or with their um trying to think of some of the other medications she sold with their skin she sold some sold some eczema drugs um she also sold baby formula interesting enough but all that to say I just remember being very interested in that and then kind of having pretty I guess maybe grown-up discussions with my parents about you know, hear my interest um I obviously want to be a wife one day um I knew I wanted to be a mom one day and trying to think, you know, big picture, future picture, like what is something that would be good for me to do? Um, So we tossed around pharmacy versus medicine, Um, kind of quickly realized that medicine just was a lot. Um, School, residency, potential fellowship, um, maybe not as much um, potential for part-time opportunities. It kind of is an all or nothing a lot of times for family. Absolutely. Um, We have a close family friend that's actually um, my kid's pediatrician now, and she's phenomenal, and she is an amazing pediatrician, um, but her husband had to step back and be a stay-at-home dad when her kids were little. Um, So just seeing that and me realizing that that wasn't necessarily the path that I wanted to take. Yeah. So pharmacy seemed like a really good compromise. Um. So did pre-pharmacy at Auburn, which is the biomedical science route. Um, I was in class with people that were going to med school, dental school, physician assistant school. Um, So I did the three-year track, which was more common back then. Now it's pretty difficult to do a three-year track, but it allowed me um, to get into pharmacy school one year earlier. So it's funny my husband Mark jokes that I do not have an undergraduate degree yeah, I only have a doctorate yeah hey, that's all right <laughs> yes um so I do I only have a farm D I do not have any type of bachelor degree uh that is, that's kind of cool actually it is it is so, um and I didn't need it you know once yeah. you have a farm D I'm a pharmacist yeah. and I can practice in that manner well, I joke that my one of my sisters never graduated from high school, but yet she graduated from Vandy. So it's like she was smart enough to skip that senior year. Sure. I, on the other hand, they wanted to have me around for my personality. Sure. So <laughs> love it. Um, so finished pharmacy school in um, 2013, and ended up actually doing my fourth year rotations in Birmingham. Um, and we can get into this later, but it. It uprooted our family because we were married at this point. So Mark had to um, 
quit his job at that time. We moved to Birmingham for me to finish school and do my rotations there. And um, the following year, I ended up doing a residency or a postgraduate year um, at Princeton Baptist Medical Center in Birmingham. And then I was able to stay on as the cardiac clinical pharmacist um, after my residency. So I say all of that to say that that job was my dream job. And I was a clinical pharmacist in an ICU setting. Um, I rounded with the intensive care team. I rounded with the cardiologist, uh, mainly working on post-open heart surgery patients. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Cardiac cath patients. Um, I took residents on rotation. I took students on rotation. So I was able to teach and I taught the medical residents. Um, I was able to give... uh, you know, discussions and talks with the nursing staff. And really, it fulfilled the education um, side of, I guess, what I loved, which was the teaching part. So I taught nurses, residents, pharmacists, you know, whether it be students or whether it be pharmacy residents and medical residents. Um, And then I also got to practice what I loved. Um, It was an incredible job. And I felt needed And I felt like I was using, I guess I was practicing at the top of my degree, even Mm -hmm. like right out of residency, very quickly. And so it was just, it fell in my lap and um, it was perfect. And then we had Micah and I became a mom and it became a lot. Um, And I tell people all the time, I would never have left that job. And I think God knew he had to pluck me from it. Um, I just, if we still lived in Birmingham, I would still be in that job. And I know I would be, and I would be happy, but I would be sacrificing things that I'm not sacrificing now. Yeah. So that's a tough decision, but that is one where it's like, all right, the door's closed. So, but when you're talking, I can see the spark of loving the job. So is it really still difficult some days to go all right I love being a mom and I don't want it to sound bad but boy I love that and the adrenaline rush from that and the so where do you how do you balance it how do you take those emotions Mm -hmm. and not let them get the best of you sure I think it is hard sometimes and you're right I get a spark when I talk about it I get a spark when I think about it even to this day when they post job openings at Princeton I'm like oh what if yeah (laughs) um but at the end of the day I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has me where he wants me I am a mom like that is a reality I love being a mom and I I think how I overcome maybe the disappointment that I feel in my mind sometimes or feeling like I'm not achieving what I could be achieving in my career. I have to remember back to those moments when I was in that job and when I was a mom and I felt so compromised. Um, Just a silly example is I remember vividly one night, Micah was about six months old and I needed to put him down to bed and I was going to nurse him and put him down to bed. And right as I was about to take care of my not newborn, but six month old baby, I was getting a phone call from a physician and it was a very important phone call where a patient was crashing and they needed 
some assistance. And I felt in that moment that I was having to pick between my child and a very significant patient care case. And that is also a human. It's a patient. And I treated every patient like a family member. And so I felt just that tug in my heart of almost it feeling like it was unfair. Um, and I did take call a lot and was really on call all the time for yeah. my cardiologist. Yeah. So I have to remind myself that while it was great and while I felt so fulfilled in my career, it really did require a lot of sacrifice on the end of being a mom. And even more so, I was very absent during that time. Um, looking back at pictures, like all of the pictures we have from Micah from the time I went back to work to the time that we moved and I took a different job, the pictures were ones that Mark took when he was taking care of Micah and I was at work and he was sending them to me. And so I look back and I just realized like it was great. Um, but it was, it came at great sacrifice and I didn't, I didn't balance it well. And I know other coworkers of mine that did balance it better than me. Um, I just never struck that balance in that job. Well, maybe it's not your balance. And, you know, that's probably one of the things that I'm seeing in a lot of young moms. And, and I think I had it too, was you can look at everybody and compare and nobody has the same dynamics. Nobody has the same spouse. Nobody has the same child and, and those child needs. And then the same patient is not going to be put in front of another. So one of the things that I've probably finally figured out and still lapse in is that there are no two identical scenarios. So it's really hard to go, well, if I had this, this, and this, then, okay, then you made the switch. Um, y'all moved back to Montgomery, and but you are getting your teaching fix Correct. through Auburn, which is significant as well. Yes. So talk to me about that a little. Absolutely. So God has been good throughout it all, and seeing his hand in it is amazing. Um, so we did. We moved back to Montgomery. Um, it's now been almost three years ago. Um, and that mainly was for Mark. So earlier in our marriage, I feel like I moved him around for my pharmacy career and then it was his turn. Um, so he, uh, got the call from Jay Wolf at first Baptist Montgomery, asking him to come on as an associate pastor. And we had felt the stirring in our heart that something was on the horizon. We felt like our call was changing. Um, and so we did, um, jump into that. You don't say no to Jay Wolf. No, no. <laughs> um, and obviously very excited for Mark to learn yeah. under him and be at such an incredible church and for us to do ministry here. Um, so with that change, um, Mark is just very wise and he knows me more than I know myself. So in my mind, I was a pharmacist and I was making full-time pay and that's, I just needed to find another job where I was a pharmacist and I was making full-time pay. Well, he knew me and knew that I was feeling that pull between being a pharmacist and being a mom and being a wife and being a pastor's wife. So all that he, he told me, he said, I've looked at our finances, like this is a great opportunity for us to change our lifestyle. You know, we're going to be selling our house, buying a new house. 
And he just made it very clear to me that he wanted to make it an option for me to work part-time. And at first, I was so defensive. Were you really? I was. I, You know, to me, I'm like, well, what do you mean part-time? Do you yeah, not think I'm a can... professional here. Right. Like, yeah. I went to school to be a pharmacist, and I'm good at this, you know? And are you questioning my ability to be a mom and a pharmacist? So I prayed about it and humbled myself and realized that he was right. And it gave me the freedom to dream differently. So um, I my first point of contact was to a person at Auburn um, that I had actually learned under. And um, I reached out to her because she was in charge of facilitators at Auburn which at the time, and I now have a different job, but she was in charge of the third year facilitators where the students do small group learning and they have pharmacists that serve as facilitators of the learning environment. Very part-time job, very low stress. Um, So I reached out to her just asking, you know, hey, I'm moving back to Montgomery, interested. If you have an opening, let me know. She responded that they didn't have an opening, but that she would let me know if they did. Well, within a month, she emailed me and basically said, we have an opening. We want you to have it. I'll, like, call me. Wow. (laughs) So it was simple as that, and I got that job with Auburn as an integrated pharmacotherapy facilitator. Wow. And did that for two years. And what a chance to be a mentor. So did you have some experiences that really kind of went down that path for you and kind of stroked those needs for you to give back into what you had come from? Yes, absolutely. So we we were in small group learning environment. So obviously just the day-to-day, I mean, I daily gave students feedback on their work, but then also just building those relationships was huge. They're deep. Absolutely. And then I got the opportunity to formally mentor some students. And one that stands out is he he was a student that was not great in the classroom. He struggled to make grades. He struggled when it came to taking tests. But I was able to help him just learn different uh, ways of learning and um, really I feel like helped him become successful and then by the end of our relationship and we actually still have a relationship he he was just um, very grateful for me to share I guess my life and my beliefs with him and um, just able to be vulnerable with him and him to share how he struggled and um, it, w- it was just really good because I feel like he felt like I not only mentored him as a educator, but I also was able to mentor him as a fellow believer because yeah. um, we did strike ground there. Um, and I, I also feel strongly, even though I don't openly talk about my faith in the classroom, um, I think they see they see it in me um and so many of the the coworkers i work with are believers and um just being able to share that peace with people in the midst of a time of lots of stress yeah for students their problem i used to believe that there was not as much stress ever again in life but i'm kind of changing that a little bit but um 
but it is stressful because there are so many unknowns and so many uncontrollable for that individual parts. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a, but to have somebody who's been through it Mm -hmm. and to be able to, to kind of connect on those levels. Um, So when you're in in the classroom like that and and mentoring, it's it's part-time, but Auburn's a hall. I mean, you had to, (laughs) to drive and, and, but yet we have technology. Right. So were you able to utilize technology in this or, or was it always, you know, going across the Cross town. Sure. So in that particular position, um, I was going to Auburn three days a week. So three days a week, I was in the classroom setting with the students. And then the other two days a week, I was given time to provide feedback, answer emails, communicate with with the physicians, with patients. Um, that's when we'd have some of our meetings, and I was able to call in to yeah. those meetings. In my job now, so... I guess to explain, the pharmacy school changed their curriculum. So it's now a practice-ready curriculum. It's really great. It's cutting edge. It's awesome. Um, But they uh, phased out the third-year curriculum. Um, Well, they slowly phased out, you know, first, second, and third year. So last year was the last year of the third-year curriculum. So with the completion of last academic year, they didn't need facilitators anymore. So that was obviously a little scary because I'm a facilitator. So where's my role? Um, And we were actually just contracted work through the university. Um, But I was over the summer able to interview and um, got one of the professor of practice positions, which they created over the summer. They created three positions to help support the curriculum in the first yeah, I mean they can have year. new curriculum all they want to but if there's not a support system there it, it could fall flat quickly right so it's when people ask what I do I'm hesitant to even start to explain because it's so confusing you have to have an elevator pitch now what would it be? Or, or a bumper <laughs> sticker they call it um, so I help support and implement the curriculum I mainly work with third-year students still Um, They identified that my strengths and my past experience most aligned with the third year curriculum. Yeah. So I do a lot of helping build Canvas sites, which is the portal that Auburn uses that the curriculum is implemented on. Um, I help build assessments. I grade assessments. So on a given work week, I may spend the entire work week grading one assessment because the students are writing what we call soap notes, which is basically a patient care note, and it needs a pharmacist eye to give feedback, give a grade, building rubrics, all those types of things are the things I do. Um, so I feel like a glorified secretary some days. Yeah. But I'm quickly reminded that I'm using my pharmacist brain daily. Yeah. If you don't run it through that filter, they can make a critical mistake. Right. So, okay, well, um, here's where I would have a problem. I would want to overly fix what they're saying or how they're doing or how do you balance that? Or do you have that personality? You may not, but I do. do. (laughs) It's really hard. Um, It's hard because you do. You want them, and it's genuinely because I care. Right. I want them to be 
good at what they're doing. I want them to understand all the concepts. So as you can imagine, I mean, just the most recent thing I graded, you not only see inaccuracies in the way that they learn the information, they're applying it wrong. And not only are they applying it wrong, they maybe don't know how to apply it or they're not doing it in an organized fashion. So it's hard because I want to just unload on them all the things that they did wrong and all the ways that they can make it better. But one thing I learned during my time as a facilitator giving feedback is you have to give it in small doses. Yeah. Because they, if you just unload all the things that they did wrong and all the ways that they can improve, they're not going to hear any of it. It used to be a million years ago, the more read the paper was, the less they read it. Right. So I guess it's the same concept. Right. So just deciding, like, what are the important, you know, as far as, like, things that they maybe misconcepts, like, what are the life-threatening things that they missed? And, And focusing on that. And then as far as organization, giving them one or two tips on how they could present could have presented the information in a better way and knowing that it's a process and they aren't they don't need to be perfect today um I mean they're third year students so we expect I was gonna a say, lot come on now we when expect do they, a lot when, when does perfection hit because yeah yes wow. and that, that's, that's hard that's quite a task all right how you have to be able to draw lines because you could make that engulf way more hours i mean that could become where you have no mommy hours because every night you could sit down to it how do you do that again it's hard um and i think part of it is setting expectations for myself you know how long should this take now there have been times because all of this is new this is new curriculum right there have been times where I've had to give feedback. Like we thought it was going to take me 10 hours. This took me 20 hours. Um, but I feel like I'm a very efficient person. So that helps. And I am able to recognize when I am taking too long on a task yeah. and move along. And I just kind of understand, you know, why I'm taking too long and that I've got to not cut corners, but maybe not be as complete. Yeah. Um, but meeting my own expectations is always harder than meeting others' expectations because yeah. they're so high. you're always higher than somebody else. Yeah, I remember a million years ago when I was first um, teaching the kids, there was a book that was assigned to the military guys that came in, and it was How to Read a Book. And it was a book called How to Read a Book. And in it it talked about different reasons for reading and you know that could cut your time down i mean if you're reading to correct for organization you're reading one way if you're reading to learn content you're reading another and so you get these techniques under your belt that meet the purposes so i guess that's kind of the same that makes me think of the same exercise that that you'd have to play with yourself i guess yes absolutely okay where's michael when you're doing this is he like be bopping around or or do you like have set times that you're you're all on yes so 
And I will say, I, I still have to commute to Auburn quite a bit. So two to three days of the week, I'm in Auburn. The other days, I'm either working from home or working from Starbucks because when I'm home, I struggle with the balance of yeah. there's laundry to be done. There's cleaning to be done. There's That's a tough balance to strike, a real tough balance. Tough balance. What you can see, you cannot get out of your mind. Right. And I am all about my environment. Like I want my house to be clean and I feel like sometimes I can't sit down to work until everything's just so (laughs) um so my kids go to full-time daycare um they go to the learning center at first baptist um Mark takes them because it's where he works. He's there, yeah. So he usually leaves the house around 745, so they get there around 8. And then on days where I'm working for Montgomery, I'm able to go get them by around 233, sometimes 330. And then on days where I'm in Auburn, Mark either brings them home when he's done with his day or they stay till 430 or 5, which is when I can get back to them. But um, they're there. And then I do work some at at night. I mean, I work a lot at night, honestly. And that's a beauty of my job is that um, when I'm not actually physically in the classroom or physically meeting with students, I'm able to do my job within the time that I want to do it. Yeah. So So you can balance that if you need to. Right. So I'm a morning person. So there's been days where I, you know, I'm up at 430 and I knock a couple hours out before the kids get up or Mm -hmm. put the kids down um, and we'll work when they're asleep. There have been times where it's been crunch and like I'm grading an assessment and it needs to be done today. And there have been times where I'll admit I've turned the TV on and the kids watch TV and I'm grading but it's more distracted um not great so I try to avoid that yeah answering emails is one thing but trying to focus on assessment because you have to lose yourself in that and then you can't lose yourself in that right all right meltdown moment what's your biggest career meltdown that's involved meltdown family um just going okay I'm done I can't do any of it Hmm. this is big so for me And this is really like probably the first time in my life where I just was like, I, I surrender. Like I cannot do this. So Helen Ann was born in July of 2018 and I went back to work, which again at the time would have been as a facilitator. Um, I went back to work when she was eight weeks old, which probably wasn't two children in eight (laughs) weeks yeah it probably wasn't the best idea I I had 12 weeks with Micah and in hindsight just didn't realize how much that extra four weeks did for me but I went back to work and things were fine um and I feel like you know things were balanced hard and it's it's hard to send an eight-week-old to daycare Mm -hmm. I mean so much mom guilt um but really (laughs) yes so much mom guilt um it's and I'll eventually get back to answer your question but it's one thing to send even an 18 month old to what I like to call school not daycare Mm -hmm. um you know they're learning they enjoy being with their friends but an eight week old it's they're pooping and they're sleeping and they're eating and it's you almost feel that guilt of like you want to be doing it someone else is doing it you want to be nurturing your child someone else is doing it and you know it has to be the case because you're working but it's hard it's really hard um it was for me at least Mm -hmm. 
But um, so getting back, so I want to say it was maybe a month or two into being back from maternity leave with Helen Ann. Um, I got an email or phone call. I can't remember how it all went down, but a very awesome job opportunity came in front of me. One that was very enticing. It was a full-time opportunity working from home. And in my mind, I had put the pause button on my career and maybe it was time for me to ramp back up. You know, we're done having kids, even though, my goodness, she's only eight weeks old (laughs) or 10 weeks old, maybe. Um, And so I thought it was just an opportunity for me to maybe discover my new career path. So I moved forward and it was a very unique opportunity where you interviewed and um, then you did an audition piece. And I didn't even deserve an interview, but I knew the right people and um, never thought I would ever get the job after the interview. So I just kind of kept pursuing it thinking, God will close the door if it's not right. God will close the door if it's not right. Well, the interview apparently went well. I got the offer to audition. And so I wrote, it was a writing job, which seems, you know, far-fetched for a pharmacist. Um, But part of the audition was writing for Mm -hmm. them for a couple months and going through publication cycles. And part of it is to see if you can cut it. And the other part of it is to see if you like it because it's so out of the box for a pharmacist. Um, I thought I was going to love it. And I still don't quite know sometimes whether it was because of where I was in life or whether it was because of the job, but it was such a dark time for me. Um, I was trying to mother two kids. I was trying to be a wife. I was trying to keep up with my Auburn job, which honestly they had offered me a lot of opportunities on top of my normal job. So I was able to be a content expert for heart failure and um, for the acute coronary syndrome. So I was doing all these things on top of my normal Auburn job and auditioning. So I was, I was up writing. I can remember it being 3.30 a.m. and I was still not done writing for something that was due the next day. And I would just go feed my newborn and go get back to writing, sleep for an hour and a half, two hours, go to my Auburn job. It was too much. And I was trying to be Superwoman. And it got me. And I landed flat on my face and realized that I couldn't do it all. I just couldn't. It was really one of the first times in my life that I just felt so defeated. Like I had, I had failed. Um, but God just really showed himself in those times. And I realized that it was okay to say no. And so I said no to the writing opportunity and ended the audition, um, and moved on. And it was the best decision, but hard. Very hard because it's like a little kid getting more ice cream scoops and, and you can see if you could just get through it, then, you know, the, the success and the fulfillment is on the other side. Um, so that that's humbling. And to what kind of advice would you throw back out there to yourself? If you could talk to yourself at that moment again? Sure. 
I think, I really think I, I learned so much about myself through that. And I did learn that I'm, I'm, I, I think before then, I found so much of my value on success. And what's the next thing that Brittany can do? What's the next thing that Brittany can achieve? And life isn't about that. And I think I realized in that time that achievement and success is not what makes me happy. Um, and it really took that. I mean, that was the first time in my life, really, that I felt like I couldn't do what was put in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that maybe sounds prideful. And I, I really think I maybe was a little prideful up until that point. Um, but I think I would just say back to that self before, like you, you are enough in Christ. Like you don't need to show the world that you can be superwoman. You're not superwoman. Um, you know, you're a mom and you're a wife and you do ministry and, you know, you have a job outside of the home. It would be okay if you didn't have a job outside of the home. Um, just a reminder that like we, we aren't, we aren't our successes. We aren't what we're achieving on a daily basis. So that was probably the biggest thing I learned from that whole situation. Do you think that some of those lessons are good um, lines that you'll be able to come back to as you parent? Because right now yours are toddlers. Mm -hmm. But the toddler personality is going to be the teen personality, the adult. I mean, we we have watched. Yeah, go ahead and buckle your seatbelt. We have watched where a lot of the personalities that ours had as young, little, little tykes, um, are still some of those big character traits that they still have. Mm -hmm. So can you see that these experiences, you're going to be able to draw back to to raising them? Can you see any patterns sure. that maybe you can see in your kids? I certainly, you know, hope that. I would be able to instill these things that I learned. I think just thinking about the whole world that we live in, like our culture tells us do more, be more, buy more, make more money. Um, and those are just lies. And so I think just thinking about my kids, like wanting them to realize that those are, those things don't bring happiness and they're not our identity. You know, our identity is in Christ and teaching them, that that is their identity. They're known and loved by the Lord. Um, and that's what I've had to remind myself through that. But I will say definitely, I don't know with Helen Ann yet, because her she just seems strong-willed at this point and yeah. very free-spirited and independent, which will suit her well. Um, but Micah, I can already see in him, he has the strong firstborn traits which I'm a second born, but I feel like I, my brother would agree. Like I have the first born yeah. traits. Like I want to please people and I want to meet expectations and I don't want to disappoint people. And Micah has a lot of those tendencies. And so um, I think I will be able to share. I hope I'll be able to share my, um, you know, I don't want to say failures, but um, my experiences. Yeah, life with lessons him. that yeah, you've had. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that kind of leads me a little bit back to to Mark. Now I know Mark, and I've known him for a lot of years, and some of the things that Mark and his group did never bad, but just 
you know, just those things. Um, but, but I know that he's got a golden heart. Mm-hmm. And so for him to watch you go through some of this, I'm sure pained him. But at the same time, how did that fit into the marriage mm-hmm. when you're sitting here going to pieces about making sure you fulfill something? What's he doing? So he has a golden heart. I will affirm that. Um, And he is just wise. I mean, beyond his years, he always has been. Um, He would remind me, he would remind me of perspective. And he always has. He, He brings me back to perspective of this is how you're perceiving the situation. This is the reality of the situation. And this is what really matters. Um, he was super supportive. Like looking back, he, the whole time, I think felt like that job wasn't right for me, but he knew that I needed to explore it for me to find out that it wasn't right for me. So he supported me. And I think I thought him supporting me was telling me, you know, keep going, keep going. And I really probably put too much, um, not trust because I trust him and I, he's trustworthy, but I think sometimes I just blindly follow him. I'm like, if you say it's right, we're going that way. Mm -hmm. Um, almost to a fault. And so I think I just thought in my mind and it really was that I wasn't verbalizing to him, my hesitations about what was going on, but he was supporting me and, um, you know, helping me along, reminding me of truths and scripture, um, you know, casting all my anxieties and all these things. He was pointing me to Christ through it all and being so supportive. Um, but at the end of the day, and again, like, I think it's okay for me to say this and counseling's good. And I now know this, but he pointed me to a counselor because it wasn't good for our marriage. Um, you know, I think I, counted on him to fix me I'm like you're my husband you know me more than anybody you're a pastor like come on you got this yeah and um he just was like I don't I don't know what to do like I don't know what to tell you you're hurting you're broken he knew what was best for me but he knew he wasn't the one to help me discover it that's wise Mm -hmm. I knew you'd get me but I didn't know it'd be like this (laughs) um well that's really interesting because so many people do expect pastoral folks to just, you've got the answer, you've got the prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's very interesting that he would take a step back. and He did. Um, and counseling was so good. And honestly, I only went like six weeks. Yeah. And then um, I graduated myself. You graduated. <laughs> she graduated me. That's um, funny. But it was fantastic. And really, it just took me talking through the situation and talking through what I knew. And it was just a discovery of lies versus truths yeah. and what mattered to me. And it helped put all of it in perspective. And I was able to make more clear decisions. Yeah. You know, I think that what you just said is key. Lies versus truths. And, and you will get that in every phase of your life young girls have that Um, you go into college and you're just bombarded with it you come out into the work world and you find out that that's not an easy transition marriage is not an easy transition so there's there are constant our society tells a lot of lies absolutely and and unfortunately we 
believe that it just needs to all stay a secret and and we can't talk and, mm-hmm. and get things out um all right so you've come in to you, you and mark dated all the way through high school college you weren't a break up get back together couple we were not so mark buffet made it very clear when we were dating because there were times as a high school dramatic girl let's just take a break you know, if we can't agree on this or you made me mad, let's just take a break. And I remember him vividly telling me, I do not do breaks. So if you want to take a break, you can break up with me, but I will not be considering it a break. <laughs> um, so that'll bring perspective back around. And we really rarely fought. I, it was a silly, yeah. I don't even remember what it was over, but it was in high school and it was silly. Um, so we never did. We never broke up from 10th grade all the way till saying I do. We dated for seven years. And y'all have very, and, and we don't have to go here if you don't want to, but <laughs> y'all have very strict boundaries. Um, and can you talk about that at all? And especially to the audience that, that might be listening to this of um, how in today's time do you go, well, it doesn't matter. How do you stay to your boundaries and stay true to them? Sure. Um, this may seem like comical to even compare this, but just like now we consider divorce to not be an option. Like that's not even in our definition book. Yeah. I would say the same about relationally before marriage, just doing something intimately, sexually, whatever it is that was outside the boundaries. It just wasn't an option. Um, I will say that Mark would agree. Um, I was the one that was the keeper of the boundary. Um, I mean, now being married to a man for almost 10 years, I mean, I'm terrified to raise, I'm really terrified to raise a boy or a girl, but just um, the things that go through um, the male mind is fascinating. Um, Or frightening. Or frightening. Yes. Frightening. Um, So you're right. I mean, we did. We set boundaries. And I would I would say that like you have to communicate um, as awkward as it might be, even in a high school dating relationship. Um, You know, if you're a believer now, if you're not a believer, then the expectations are maybe different. You know, maybe you don't have the moral boundaries. But as a believer, you know, being strong in that and being um, bold in that and sharing, you know, what those boundaries are, and it reaps so much reward. I mean, all of those things that that we struggle with, um, not crossing the line in any way, those things are meant for marriage, and they're beautiful in marriage. And I'm so thankful that we went into marriage being both pure. I mean, we both had never kissed anyone else. Now, we, we kissed dating, but I've never kissed another boy and he's never kissed another girl. Um, like that's so cool. And I know that, that is can't, cool and rare, rare. And that can't be everyone's story. Right, right, and, right. You know, you can only be in control of yourself. So I have several friends that have married men that don't have paths that they're proud of and they have been forgiven in the Lord and those things. Um, so I'm not saying it's going to be perfect for everyone, but you can control yourself and, um, you know, just speaking into young girls and young women um just to stay bold in that and that it pays off and that it's good and god honoring um and there's baggage to deal with when you don't 
but we actually recently talked to the youth at church um, about relationships. And I didn't say this, but I told Mark, I was like, I just want to end the night by telling them to not touch each other. Because <laughs> it's so true. Just don't touch each other. Um, you know, get to know one another. Have fun dating. Yeah. You know, enjoy each other's presence. But really, like, you want to marry your best friend. And discovering that friend doesn't take doing things that should be within the bounds of marriage. Yeah. Well, that's very good advice. And, and you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not everyone's story, but, um, life is so complicated as it is. And to have the drama that can come in Mm -hmm. to making poor, just instant gratification decisions is Mm -hmm. frightening. Absolutely. Um, and also in the the work world, career world. And so as you come into the pastoral mm-hmm. fishbowl, um, and I say that with love and respect because I'm a pastor's child. So I, I so know what it is. Um, and I, I did not realize that about you. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, my dad worked for the Baptist Convention. So it was like, you know, you're front and center and, and always involved in it. And I can remember moving to Alabama and thinking, okay, we're out of the church. We're now going to work for the convention. He's a doctor. So it says doctor. So people just think, my dad's doctor. I am out of this. And it, it really did change a little bit how you had to behave. But, but anyway, as you're coming into that, the world accepts different things. They they have uh, a different measurement, but yet they don't. I mean, it's still the same. Um, you're a little bit more on a pedestal and have to perform as such. Um, now, you married a minister. Correct. I mean, he was already in it. So there was no, in my marriage vows, it was, you may not convert or be called by the Lord to the pastoral. No. <laughs> But, um, and so far Dom's held up on that, but we'll see. Um, but that being said, you knew what you were getting into. Talk down that road if you can a little bit. What's it like? I mean, mm-hmm. you're young, y'all have a young family, you're, you're in a vibrant church and community. Is it hard? It is. Um, and I will say, I did know I was marrying into it because he made it very clear before we got engaged, before we got married. But that was not his calling when we started dating. So we kind of both grew into it. I never, ever dreamed of being a pastor's wife. I mean, I hear people, even high school students now, they're like, oh, one day I want to be a minister's wife. I'm like, you do? Um, but I never dreamed of it. I never expected it. I mean, I never in a million years thought I'd be a pastor's wife, but um, here I am. And I obviously gladly accepted it because I loved Mark and I wanted to be his wife and it terrified me. I mean, it, it still to this day, I'm like, what does it even mean to be a pastor's wife? Yeah. Um, well, you've had some great mentors, so that helps out. Absolutely. And y'all um, kind of have a lot of you at the same time that are young So that either helps or hurts. I don't know. We do. So we have a lot of other young staff members of First Baptist, and um, their wives are a great support system for me. Um, I think I would just say, and I was actually having a conversation with one of them yesterday, I think sometimes it can just be lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that because I don't know that people expect, differently of me I mean you definitely live in a fishbowl but it's almost like they're not real with you 
um, they f- people feel like they can't be them true selves because, oh, Mark and Brittany are in the room. Or what would Mark and Brittany think if I said what I usually say um, or let my real self be known? And so I think because sometimes I feel like others aren't being true to themselves, I feel like I'm not known. Um, and then another part of the loneliness, and Mark and I talk about this, and um, and then I'll tell you how we kind of combat it, but when people want to go to coffee with you or lunch with you, um, so much of the time it's them wanting to unload their world problems on you and maybe seek your advice on it, but there's so many times when I go to coffee with someone and I leave and I think, wow, that was two hours of them unloading their issues on me and I don't feel like one time they even asked if I was okay, um, which is fine. And I don't need them to ask me right. whether I'm okay. But people just assume, oh, it's Mark and Brittany. That's your job role. Right. And they assume, you know, Mark and Brittany aren't just okay. They're great. And, you know, people were shocked to find out that the life situation I was telling you about earlier where I was in such a dark place, people didn't know because they didn't ask Um, So that can be lonely. Um, But. So how do you combat it? The way we combat it, two things. So having those other ministers, wives, um, and Mark having, you know, his, some of his coworkers um, talking through those things and supporting each other and we can relate on things. Um, So that's good. But my biggest piece of advice is to have friends outside of the church, which may sound weird because, you know, we find so much community within our church, but we have friends in town that know us, not just as Mark and Brittany, the minister and his wife, excuse me, wife, but like our buddies, Mark and Brittany. And so we kind of can let down barriers, um, and just be really known by them. Um, and that, that helps. And they genuinely care to ask how we're doing. Not that others don't, but they're intentional about asking. Um, and then keeping those friends, those lifelong friendships. I mean, that's huge. Um, my high school friends and my college friends that have known me, all along the way, um, just keeping those friendships in our lives have been, it's been huge. Yeah, that that can be tough. Um, and you have the balance and what you say, you know, is going to be repeated. And so you kind of have to have a bit of a guard. I mean, in some ways, that's kind of the way you are if, I mean, my spouse is in, in management. And so you have to take a step back and realize that that people see you a little bit differently but um but at the same time church to y'all is work so you have to find where you get filled Mm -hmm. where do y'all find that that's a really good question um i think for us i mean i would say that we do find fulfillment at church and we do genuinely see it as a ministry um and I don't know if this is even answering your question, but I think we find fulfillment in our home. Um, that this is our peace place. This is where we enjoy being. Um, I try to create a home where Mark wants to be and where, you know, he wants to come home to. Um, but I think just within our family, um, we have a supportive family outside of our immediate family. Um, just our parents are incredible. 
um, our brothers and their wives. And I think so much family time really fills us up. Um, and then we also like to travel some and that's very fulfilling and kind of refuels us. Where's your favorite travel spot? And it's changed a bit with children versus not having children. Yeah, so I guess the favorite travel spot with our children is my parents live at the beach, so we go there quite often. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we have been, we've traveled a lot as a married couple, and um, I think my favorite place we've been is San Francisco. Um, really? Yeah. Why? Why is that your favorite place? I think because it was just so different than anywhere I had been. It was beautiful. Um, you know, obviously big city, but it was just different and just a totally different side of the country than um, I'd ever been to. But Mark would tell you that his favorite is when we go to the mountains and he doesn't really care what mountain it is, but he just likes, he's a mountain man. He wants to go hiking and just sit there and be in nature. And that's where he gets refueled. Yeah. He's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. Yeah. (laughs) So we find our refuel in very different places so are you very intentional about your travel and making sure that you carve out time away and i mean i can remember my father we were he was always in the pulpit on sunday he was not going to miss and and you have to respect that and and i think jay's someone like that i mean he is rarely not in the pulpit so what mark is coming along behind is also that standard so so do you have to be incredibly intentional about picking your times and and then being true to that we do so it has to be scheduled well in advance um we have to be back by saturday which most people you know come home like sunday is your travel day right right so a lot of times we can't book certain places because you have to book saturday night um so we are very intentional. Mark does not like missing Sundays. Yeah. Um, he's missed maybe one in the past year. Um, and most of the Sundays he's missed, it's because he's preaching yeah. elsewhere. Um, and especially if he were head pastor. I mean, it was just, right. it didn't happen. Like, right. we're not going to miss Sunday. Um, so we do have to be intentional. And I would say Mark's the one that pushes me to do it. You know, my thought process is, well, we should use the money elsewhere. We don't need to spend money traveling or I feel so guilty leaving the kids. Um, I don't want to have to ask my mom to keep the kids. And the reality is my kids love to stay with my mom. Yeah, that's a party time. Yeah. <laughs> and she loves And she to loves keep having them. it, yeah. Um, so Mark is the one that pushes it and it's so good just to to step away and um, just to take self time and yeah. uh, sit in silence. <laughs> Well, yeah, because that you have to have time to think. Um, and I guess, too, I mean, when you're pouring out, you've, you've got to have something in there to pour out. So. That is so true. And we have learned that through the years as well. There was a time in Mark's ministry where we felt so unfueled. Um, it, was, it was just tough. And, you're, I mean, you're right. You have to have things coming in so that you can keep pouring out and whether that be you know friends pouring into you like your own you know walk in the word pouring into you but you have to have um good going in for good yeah for good that's very true um what about if you can think of what are 
maybe two people that you can dig back into your mind and think they've said this thing to me that's carried me through and just keeps a thread running through me today. Can you think of two people who have influenced you with either a statement or a concept that you needed to implement in your own life? So the one that really comes to mind, and then I'll try to think of another, but Mark's mom, um, she passed away about, it's been three years ago, which is crazy. Yeah. Has it been three years ago? We're going on three years. Um, And she was an amazing woman. Um, I feel like her spirit um, will forever live on. And she taught me the main thing I learned from her, other than the fact that she was an incredible wife and mom, but she was a woman of peace, true peace that ran deep. And when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I mean, I don't want to say she was unfazed, but she had this peace that surpassed all understanding. And it was a peace from the Lord. And I want to have that peace. And so when things come in life that are unexpected, I think back to Jenny. I mean, there are so many times where I think, what, what, how would Jenny handle the situation or what would she say to me? Um, and she would tell me to trust. Um, and that also reminds me of Mark's dad who says, you know, if, if you know how things are going to end up, that takes little faith. Um, just reminding us when things come in life that are unexpected or we don't know how things are going to turn out. It's like, well, that's, that's the point of faith. Um, but Mark's mom, just being a woman of peace, um, just is, was, is, it's been huge for me, um, being a wife and a mom. Yeah. Well, and you had to go through a spouse losing their mother and that's a new role. Mm hmm. And pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any insight or th- lessons you learned on that? I think the biggest thing that I learned was just I can't fix it and it's okay. And I am a fixer and I mm-hmm. want to make things right. And it was hard because it was a situation that was completely out of our control and um, just allowing my husband's space to grieve and supporting him in that and understanding that I was not the first thing he was thinking about when he was waking up, you know, and that's okay. Like he was grieving the loss of his mom. And so not being selfish in that grief um, is something that I had to work on, which sounds odd. No, I get it. Um, so I think just allowing them space to grieve and knowing that you can't fix it and you're not going to fix it and they don't expect you to fix it. Um, and just meeting them where they are and crying with them and, um, trying to keep things joyful and, you know, just understanding where they're coming from. And that's new. That's something that there's no handbook for it. No matter how much you read, Every situation is different, and so you can't. It's just like becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. You can read all the books you want to, right? And it's not going to be textbook. Yes. So, um, and 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 then grief doesn't have a time limit either, and right. and it can sneak back up and come mm-hmm. again and again, 
forever. And that's okay. I mean, there are so many days where I am even the one that verbalizes like, Mark, I miss your mom. Like I am frustrated that your mom is not here. And, you know, just knowing that grief is really a forever process and we want to forever remember her and therefore we're always going to be grieving yeah. our loss of her, her gain. Um, right. But that, you know, that's okay. And Well, I think- if you don't share some of that, then your children who aren't going to remember her themselves won't get those little trickles down, trickle down. Um thoughts and and how she's integrated into who you are sure and they know Gigi I mean they can spot her in a picture so um, it's sweet and then I guess the other people uh, that I would say just have left huge impressions just thinking about me as a you know adult Um, my parents taught me a lot growing up but I would say and they helped set us up in a very successful manner in this but they taught me and really um, marked to just so much about being wise with money and being a good steward of money and just how when you do those things it sets a platform not that money is a healthy marriage those don't equal one another but financial strife within a marriage can be a marriage oh well definitely so just teaching us simple principles um, of how to manage money and how to be a good steward of money. And I feel like that's one thing when I think about our marriage, um, we have not had any strife in that area. And, you know, very thankful for that because that's something that can be a, a real issue um, in marriages in America. That very true. And, and it's a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. So it's um, that that's important to have those principles. Did y'all have to just have those conversations? And then do you handle I me mean, here? You are a professional here. He's a professional. You come home, you're part time. Finances change. Did y'all figure out how you were going to balance and how who's running the checkbook or together? Or do you sit down? What do you do? What's your plan? <laughs> so Mark, my husband, he has a spreadsheet. And he is all about the spreadsheet. Tom is so about spreadsheets. No wonder they like each other. <laughs> I know. Um, so he's all about the spreadsheet. He creates our budget. I understand him. Um, right. I move the budget. You know, I'm like, well, that is not a reasonable expectation for me to spend on the children. You know, the, the children's clothing. And so he's very adaptable, but also keeps me rooted in do you really need that? Or is this more of a want versus a need? Um, But we have a budget and we try to stick to it. And I think just having goals in mind, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like we don't have a lot and we've, I told you, I've put a pause on my career. So I could be making way more than I am now, but I'm doing it for the sake of my family and my kids and ministry. And so I say that all to say it's, it's not a about what you make it's how you handle what you make how you manage it how you manage it um but it sounds like you're having conversations constantly and we're always focused on our goal um you know whether it be a savings goal or starting to think about the kids college fund or just in general you know what are our goals where do we want to get and we do dream a lot um and then you know the more that you can plan for your money the more you can give and then the more you're blessed in that um and so it doesn't matter how much you 
bring in. I mean, it does to an extent, but it's all about molding your lifestyle around it. I mean, I would love to have a bigger house. I dream of a bigger house, but we have a very affordable home and um, it provides for us what it needs to provide for us. And it's a lovely home and it allows us to give in the way that we want to give and save in the way that we want to save. So America tells us bigger car, bigger house, fulfill all those desires. And I do not think that those bring us happiness. I think that having an open track, you know, where you've got the the circle where the kids can go brings happiness. And somebody told me one time, um, and actually she was our best friend and Sandy was our children's minister and youth minister in North Carolina. And we were in a small house when we first moved to Alabama. And she goes, Amy, if you were in a big house, you wouldn't have your pulse on what the kids were saying and doing. And right now they're young and the more you can hear, the more you know how to help. Mm-hmm. And it put a different perspective on me living in a small house. We had more room from our floor to our ceiling than we'd had in our den. So it was um it was humbling, but she gave me a perspective. Sure. I think sometimes perspective is what we so desperately need and if we isolate ourselves we aren't we aren't able to find that perspective would you agree with that I do yeah I think too you know exposing yourself you know it's easy to get wrapped up in a bubble where maybe you're in a friend group where all of those friends have bigger houses and nicer cars and if you're living in that isolated world you know you start to think well this is what everyone has but in reality it's not and so just exposing yourself to all kinds of people um is helpful and I think just refocusing I mean just perspective it's so huge and just reminding that those things don't fulfill um and it's they're not bad it's not they're not bad things but just that they don't fulfill well I have two questions I want out of that one is um you are in a profession and were in a profession to where you're you are around a lot of people that aren't believers and and in the science field it can be an oddity so but yeah you keep referencing your faith Mm -hmm. so what would it be like if that wasn't your anchor or reference point so if faith were not my anchor point i don't know um I mean, my world, I feel like my world would look completely different. Um, it's hard to imagine, you know, Mark not being a man of faith and that whole, I guess, going down that path. But I think I would be pursuing, you know, the American dream. Um, I would, people question all the time, you know, why, why aren't you in a job where, you know, you can climb a ladder and make more money? Like pharmacists can make a lot of money. And I, I do have people question that, and that's where I have to really go back to, okay, what, you know, what is my goal here? Because um, it's so easy to fall into, well, why, why am I not? You know, why am I not pursuing this quote-unquote American dream? But I think that that's what we would fall into if it weren't for our faith, is just trying to be the most and the best and whatever it is um, within the career. And the world tells us that that is based on money. Yeah. 
Um, favorite authors? Do you have one? Are you a reader? Ooh. Then I know as a mom, you, you suddenly know that <laughs> it's harder to do. But is there somebody that you go back to or? I wouldn't say that there's a particular author. And really, honestly, I'm not a reader and I want to be more of a reader. Um, I pick up books here and there. And lately I've been reading a lot of mom books. Yeah. Um, I just recently read one called um, Mama Bear Apologetics. And um, it goes through the different lies that our culture is teaching our kids. And it was very eye-opening because I think even with my generation, I don't see some of it because I wasn't brought up in our current culture. And so it's just been eye-opening, just the lies that our culture tells our kids and how we have got to combat it. Um, So that's one of my most recent reads. Um, I also listen to several podcasts. My favorite is Risen Motherhood, Um, just rooting moms back in the gospel truth. Um, So that would, I guess, would be one that I would recommend to all moms. Well, and when you're talking about the, the lies or the misconceptions that are given to the kids... If your kids are going to be in school, if they're and even if they're not, I mean, we homeschooled and it wasn't to protect. It was because you know for other reasons. But, um, but you've got to know what's out there. You've got to know what's going on and being said because there are there's such a blend. Mm-hmm. And, and in Montgomery, we have the benefit, but then also the challenge of we have the the military right here coming in which i always saw as the world was coming straight to our doorstep and you made mm-hmm. they make friends really fast so you you get to know someone really quickly but the culture becomes quite diverse absolutely and your kids are a part of it and being in the Montgomery area and being in the downtown preschool then you probably see a blend of mm-hmm. what would be your peers in the classroom. We do very diverse, and I love that about it. Um, and I, I do hope that our kids are always in a di- diverse environment. Um, not that it's wrong to keep your child in a bubble, but you know it's hard. Then when you go off to college, your bubble is exploded, and it's yeah. finding yourself in this world that you didn't know existed. Um, but it it is so important and it's not only recognizing the lies that the culture is saying, but talking about it and not shying away from those things. Um, can you think of an example? Well, just like one thing that I can remember specifically her saying is, you know, the family, assuming that the family is all believers and you're teaching biblical truth and not recognizing that your child, you know, you're raising them and discipling them and not recognizing that this whole time they are perceiving it as, well, mom, that's great that you believe that. Like, those are the things that you believe. And them not verbalizing, those are your beliefs, but those are not my beliefs. Because never engaged in conversation about how do you feel about this biblical truth or how do you feel about what I'm saying. Um, and so, so just the recognition that so many leave their home and say, oh, yeah, my mom and dad, they believe this, that, and the other. And that was their truth, but I'm going to discover my truth. And so much of the book is about how our culture is now wanting to define their own truth. And, you know, your truth can be different than my truth. And just reminding that 
that's not not the case like you, everyone can't be right there's a right and a wrong and that right and wrong is goes back to biblical truth and you know what does god say is true um you know you know jesus is the truth like he's the way the truth and the life and so just reminding of those things and she goes through lots of different um she calls them isms that our culture tells us about um, and educates on them. I think that's the big thing. She educates you on the theory and then combats it with scripture and kind of gives you um, uh, um, what do you advice? Yeah, <laughs> excuse me, advice yeah. on how to tackle these things with your kids. Just eye opening. Yeah. Well, you know, until you become a parent, a lot of times you don't even think about how to explain why you believe what you believe. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you might, and and I had the privilege, and, and I really do count it as a privilege, to be a chaperone for so many years in the youth group. And there was a lot of challenges. I, I can remember coming to your room to check on everybody being where they were supposed to be and being invited in and to sit down and just start just blasting questions and mm -hmm. talking and so i mean there are times as an adult you need to put yourself in a position to defend thyself yes and that's part of it it's like we need to create an environment where it's acceptable and praised really to mm -hmm. ask why you know to discover yeah. um and to discover together yeah. Not to tell your children, this is what you should believe, but to help them yeah. discover on their own. Peter gave us a great example of asking questions. And yes. Jesus gave a pretty good example of answering them. So, um, well, what we've talked about a lot of different things, and I know that we've skipped around. Are there some things that you wanted to make sure we covered that maybe we haven't touched on as much? I think the one thing I would say is just in general, there's so many um, maybe false expectations, but expectations nonetheless um, of women. And I guess I can just most re mostly relate to women. Um, and we have all of these expectations on us and all of these demands um, and so much busyness. And I think one thing I've learned, and I'm not doing it well, I'm talking to myself here, is that we have to say yes to the right things, um, and we can't say yes to everything. So just remembering that we are enough in Christ, and that we don't have to be superwoman. I know I keep saying that today. We don't have to be superwoman. We don't have to say yes to every inquiry or demand that is asked of us um, we we don't have to meet these crazy expectations that we have in our mind um, so I think just remembering that we need to prioritize appropriately and I think that takes sitting down and figuring out what your priorities are and then aligning what you're saying yes to with those priorities and leaving time for yourself um, I don't do that well, but I think that's so important. I mean, if you're not leaving time for yourself, then, you know, you, you're not going to be the best you for your spouse or for your friends or for your kids. Um, and so I think just really leaving space and time for you. Um, and for me, that means, am I leaving time 
to grow in the word and to let God pour into me and to become more Christ-like? Like, am I leaving room in my day um, to do that? And if the answer is no, I realize that all of my other parts of my life are kind of a train wreck. Um, so that's what I would, I guess, give advice on is just to um, leave space in your day and time in your day for you. That's pretty good. Um, I also want to go back a little bit to you're a mom. So you're dealing with um, mom competition and, you know, what the moms are expected to do and the toys that are expected to be to be there. There's a ton of talk, ton of talk on electronics and cell phones and moms looking at cell phones all the time instead of kids. So talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, this is your peer group. Mm -hmm. So what, how does that hit you? I'll just say it's hard and the balance is hard. You know, I have a fear of missing out. So when I completely set social media aside, I genuinely feel like I miss things. I mean, even like birth announcements, like people just assume that if you put it on social media, everyone knows that that baby was born or everyone knows that, you know, that person's expecting a baby. So big life events, engagements, marriages, I feel like I miss things. And then I feel like I'm not sometimes even keeping up with like people that I feel like I know pretty well. It's, it's really kind of a sad situation yeah, in is. our culture um, that so much is dependent on social media. So I say that because I do feel fear that if I completely step away, I'm not, um, I'm just missing things. So then it's the balance of, okay, if I'm not going to completely step away, you know, how do I balance this and all these things coming out about parents being, you know, it affecting your children by you being on your phones. And, um, it's hard. And I feel like Mark and I keep each other accountable in it. Um, and there's even times where we'll just look over if, you know, the, the family's in the living room and the kids are playing and we'll look over each other and be like, so what are you doing? You know, for scrolling on our phone, um, trying to just say like, playing a game, Leave right? Me alone. <laughs> like the kids are playing, we're having yeah. moments. Like, what are you doing on yeah. your phone? Yeah. Um, so I think keeping each other accountable and not finding value in it. Um, we went to youth camp this past year and it was eye opening being a counselor and hearing the pressures and demands that social media put on the next generation that I don't feel, you know, I don't, I don't care how many people like my post. I never, I've never even thought to care or think that that's where my value comes from, but they do. And that's Mm -hmm. a real thing. And, um, so I think just, we live in a culture that's very social media driven and learning how we can use it for good And the minute that it starts to impact me in a negative way is when I check myself and have deleted certain apps on my phone to kind of take a hiatus from it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's tough because, um, yeah, I got Facebook the same time probably that you did. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I kind of, I laid my rules down of I would never ask a kid to be, you know, to befriend me, I mean, to be their friend, they would have to befriend me. 
but it has gotten so beyond that mm-hmm. and um and so there is some responsibility to it mm-hmm. but yet if you stick your head in the sand and say i'm just not going to be a part of it well your kids are coming along and there's going to be something mm-hmm. so that's a tough balance too it is a tough balance um And, you know, one thing that I think people struggle with, and I've been caught up in it too, is people use Facebook um, as a platform. You know, I'm going to convince the world Mm -hmm. to take my stance on this via Facebook. And the reality is it's the most unsuccessful way um, to educate, to persuade. (laughs) Um, And so I think it creates a lot of rifts and riots and at times broken relationships over trivial things that people are posting about and arguing about. And um, that's another thing that frustrates me about our culture today too, is just that people feel like they can be behind a computer screen or a phone screen and say something so hurtful and not realize that they're saying it to another human being. Mm -hmm. Um, So just recognizing all of that and, you know, knowing that that's a reality and trying to, make sure that I'm not a part of that. Um, But it can be hard. I mean, I'm passionate about things. So when people post stuff, I want to educate, especially, you know, in the pharmacy world, like specifically about vaccines. I'm like, I want to educate, but realizing it's not the right platform to educate um, on really anything. Yeah. Well, the other idea that popped in my head when you were talking, you and Mark going to youth camp you are a couple that um, kids will look at and see a marriage, a family. So has that played through your mind of how you want to utilize that or channel that? Sure, it has. Um, the first thing I tell them is that we are the point zero 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 one percent of the population where a high school relationship worked out. (laughs) Yeah. But we are. Um, But yes, I mean, just thinking about our marriage, I mean, I do, like, I want for, I I want for those young um, youth at church, um, you know, that I got to know at youth camp, and even for the young couples around us at church to see our marriage and see Christ in the church and see what a healthy marriage is. you know, we both had, we came from families where we did have a great marriage modeled in front of us, but remembering that not everyone has that. And so, um, you know, trying to be that example for others. And part of that means sharing life with people and being vulnerable with people um, and, you know, sharing the real things of marriage and the hard times and, you know, good and bad. How do you protect your heart? I don't think I do it well. Um, I'm an open book, so I am very vulnerable with people and, um, I'm also very naive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know that I do protect my heart well, and I think it's okay. Um, it's hard, but I, I, at times I, you know, I tell myself I'm not protecting my heart, but I think it's okay because I think when I try to protect my heart, I'm not being the real me or I'm putting Mm -hmm. up a front, um, So I'm kind of like a dive all in kind of person and that's just me. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I ask you what your biggest um, disappointment or, you know, something crashing in on you. So I owe it to you to say, what's the best, what's the best career moment, the best Mm. 
family moment, the best life moment? That's a tough one. Um, I feel like there's several. That's all right. Um, some of them seem so trivial, but I guess kind of go, walking through my life phases. Um, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said winning the volleyball state championship was by far the most amazing experience ever. You know, all this hard work pays off, um, just the anticipation of that. Um, and then, of course, you know, walking across the stage at graduation, um, pharmacy school, just all of my education going into that one moment. Um, was huge for me. But if I think, if I step back and look at my whole life, I think it's something really simple. And I think, you know, it's been a few weeks ago, but Mark and I were sitting on the couch together and we were just watching Micah and Helen Ann play and just seeing them interacting and loving each other and um, just being siblings. Like we just had this moment where we looked at each other and we were like, this is like, this is what life's about. Like, this is, this is good. And just feeling that love, um, for my husband and love for my kids, like that to me, it is where I find my earthly, um, fulfillment. That's great. I had a moment where, um, I guess it was Isaac's wedding and one of his first babysitters came back to the wedding and she we're sitting around the house and she looked at me and she goes so you're a success and I'm like mm, okay thanks why and she goes because you said back when they were little really little if I can like my children and them like me and we mm. just really enjoy one another then life's been successful and she goes and y'all have so I can hear what you're saying you have your family relationships you'll do enjoy each other and I think that's so badly you know our families enjoy each other and um I think being exposed to families that don't reminds you how important that is in life just to genuinely love each other and enjoy being in the room together and enjoy sharing life together yeah but it also in the reality and take it away from the the Instagram shot is there's some rough times too and you just work through them knowing that if you stay in the room then it all comes back around if you run out of the room or you know walk away then there is no possibility to knit it all back together and have that little snow globe picture for sure so well have we touched on everything that you wanted to make sure that we did i know that i i really I feel honored to be here because um, you do have that family that is growing and and you'll be a ministry tool um, and so i'm I'm glad to be witness to that and a part of it sure so well, thank you. I got one more question okay superpower oh boy if you had one superpower you have twenty four hours and you can use it professionally personally. What would it be and how would you use it? So I will tell you with my personality, I struggle to come up with one answer because I want it to be the right answer. And is it the best answer? <laughs> and this by no means is going to be the best answer. But for where we are right now in our lives, um, I would say, and this is dangerous, 
my I can't su- wait. <laughs> Anticipation. My superpower would be to see into the future. Um, because I feel like we right now are just having to be very patient. Um, Mark is not in his, um, I guess, forever job right now. And so just realizing that like ministry may keep us here. Ministry may take us to a different city. It may take us to a different state, heaven forbid it take us to another country but we have to be open to that and so I think just as a minister's wife it's so hard to know that the future is unknown and it will always be unknown and the future is unknown for everybody but more so in ministry you have to consistently and constantly be open to change and I don't like change And so I think I would want to see into the future to make sure God orchestrates everything just so. (laughs) The Brittany way. (laughs) The Brittany way. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Well, I have enjoyed today and just thank you so much for allowing me to be in your home. Well, thank you so much for having me. To the beat of my own drum I got my pockets full of dreams And they're busting at the seams going Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, cry a little, and find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it from family to philosophy to work to meal prep toward beautifully surviving life